Go ahead and open your Bibles this morning to Deuteronomy chapter 3. We are going to look this morning at Deuteronomy chapter 3, verses 12 to 22. Deuteronomy chapter 3, verses 12 to 23, 22. And if you're able, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's holy inspired, inerrant, authoritative, and sufficient word this morning, starting in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 12. When we took possession of this land at that time, I gave to the Reubenites and the Gadites the territory beginning at Aroer, which, was on, which is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon, and half the hill country of Gilead with its cities. The rest of Gilead and all Bashan, the kingdom of Og, that is, all the region of Argob, I gave to the half-tribe of Manasseh. All that portion of Bashan is called the land of Rephaim. Jair the Manasite took all the region of the Argob, that is, Bashan, as far as the border of the Geshurites and the Makathites, and called the villages after his own name, Havoth-Jair, as it is to this day. To Makir I gave Gilead, and to the Reubenites and the Gadites I gave the territory from Gilead as far as the valley of the Arnon, with the middle of the valley as a border, as far over as the river Jabbok, the border of the Ammonites. The Arabah also, with the Jordan as the border, from Chinnereth as far as the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, under the slopes of Pisgah on the east. And I commanded you at, this, at that time, saying... The Lord your God has given you this land to possess. All your men of valor shall cross over, armed before your brothers, the people of Israel. Only your wives, your little ones, and your livestock, I know that you have much livestock, shall remain in the cities that I have given you until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as to you. And they also occupy the land that the Lord your God gives them beyond the Jordan. Then each of you may return to his possession, which I have given you. And I commanded Joshua at that time, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms into which you are crossing. You shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we uh, continue on throughout the book of Deuteronomy, you're going to notice the persistent reminder and exhortation, uh, the repeated instruction to take care and to keep your soul diligently. You can see that in chapter 4, verse 9. And to watch yourselves carefully. You can see that in chapter 4, verse 15. To beware, to take care, to be careful, to hear and obey the words given by the Lord through Moses to the people of Israel. It's one of the main themes throughout this book. And these reminders are sustained, they are constant, they are frequent, they are numerous throughout the book. And why? Why is it repeated over and over and over again? Take care, beware, watch yourselves, keep your soul. 
Why does the Lord repeat these over and over again as he communicates his will to the Israelites who are standing on the other side of the Jordan, ready to go up and occupy the land? And why are those warnings and exhortations for us also on this side of the covenants as his people who are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ in the New Testament also? It's because we're gospel sieves. No matter how many times we hear the gospel proclaimed to us, it leaks from us, doesn't it? We forget the good news of salvation in Christ. We forget the constant reminders to love one another and to hear and obey the word of God. Far too often we give in to our flesh and we give in to the world and we give in and we give in and we give in. And so we need constant reminders of the good news of Jesus Christ, constant reminders of everything the Lord has done to fight for you, to save your soul, and to inspire obedience, which is a grace of God given to you. The Word of God, the rules, the commands, the statutes, it is a grace of God given to you to know those things. Because God, your creator, who knows you better than you know you, is for your joy. And the Israelites on this day, they could never be reminded enough of God's faithfulness to them. Because like us, they were also a forgetful people. Prone to wandering, prone to self-absorption, prone to arrogance, prone to pride, prone to spiritual neglect, prone to an amnesia regarding the wonderful, life-giving, soul-saving works of the Lord on their behalf. To a sort of apathy or disregard for everything the Lord has accomplished for us. A failure to remember everything that he has done to deliver us, to save us, to prove his love for all of us, his precious and beloved children. And this can lead us, right, to as we forget the Lord, as we forget the gospel, guess where we turn? We start looking here. We start looking to ourselves and that can either lead us, and this is, this is a problem for all of us. It's a problem for me. It's a problem for you. It's a problem for all of us at all ages, at all times. It can lead us either to despair or to pride. And so the Lord is relentless in his reminders to obey because he is for your joy and he has proven that he is for your joy and deliverance by acting to secure your joy and deliverance. He has shown them and he has shown us over and over and over again that he is a God of loyal, steadfast love. And these, so these exhortations to care and watchfulness are repeated throughout Deuteronomy because the Israelites and because you and I are always at risk of despairing or pride We are always at risk of succumbing or giving in to the battles that we face day in and day out against sin and the flesh and the devil. And also, as we forget, 
The exhortations are also repeated throughout Deuteronomy because the Israelites, along with you and I, are always at risk of engaging in idolatrous actions. Whether it's idolizing ourselves or whether it's engaging or joining with the idolatry of the nations instead of being the light to them that we're called to be. Instead of being a light to the nations, Israel ran headlong and recklessly in the direction of the nations to their death. And for us, we can oftentimes hop onto the broad road, it seems, and walk along with the world rather than be a light to it. For the Israelites of old, the call and the pull and the temptation to join in with the nations around them, to be like them, to do what they do, to say what they say, to act how they act, to promote what they promote, to listen to what they listen to, to wear what they wear, and to believe what they believe. It was a constant pressure exerted upon them. And guess what? Things haven't changed. It's still a constant pressure exerted on us. And the scriptural record, as you work your way through the entirety of the Old Testament, will reveal to you that the nation of Israel failed to hear the repeated calls of the Lord to obey and to keep watch and to be faithful. And you and I are hard-pressed from every side by the same temptation, aren't we? Given what we hear from our culture and how different what our culture says from what our Lord Jesus Christ said... Listen, in John chapter 14, Jesus the Lord said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. But if you listen to the world, what do you hear? My truth says this, and my truth says that, and my truth says this. Jesus said, no, your truth means nothing. If you love me, you will do what I say, because I am the truth. Or you can hear Jesus in Matthew 16 saying, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And what do you hear from the culture? No, no, fulfill yourself. Do what makes you happy. Gratify your lusts and your urges and your passions. If something feels good to you, you go and you do it. Take care. Keep watch over your soul. Be diligent to hear and obey. Or if Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What does culture say? There's many ways to the Lord, to God. And if your truth leads you this way, then that's true. Jesus said, no, that's not the way it is. And Jesus also said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. One of the most beautiful texts in all of scripture and what does our world say no treat yourself or here take this medication and you'll find rest jesus the lord is the centerpiece and to find life and rest we turn to him we obey him we obey his word we live for him but given what we hear in our culture given what we hear in this Society we live in, in every song, in every show, in every movie, from every influencer, from every cultural celebrity, all we hear is, look to your own heart, trust in yourself, believe in yourself. Is it any wonder why Deuteronomy is relentless? Beware, keep watch, keep your soul diligently. 
Is it any wonder why so many professing Christians, well in love with their own comfort in this world, give in to the anti-biblical and anti-Christian cultural programming and message to do what makes you feel good, begin to forget everyone around us, all of our brothers and all of our sisters, as we start to elevate our own selves to the seat of primacy in our life. Forget about what's happening in the lives of the people around you because you're the center. Forget about obeying the word of Jesus. Know what you really need. Your real happiness is found by looking inside yourself, the culture will say. Into your very heart, the very heart that scripture tells us is deceptive. The very heart that bends everything into our own favor The very heart that deludes us into obeying our urges over the Lord and then justifies us in our sinful deeds and violations of God's holy will so that we don't feel guilty about our sins. All that to say, we can never be warned or reminded enough to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord to remember his faithfulness, to hear the gospel, to be careful and watchful to obey his word, because if we aren't, we are very fickle, very forgetful. And as we come to our text this morning, we encounter yet another example of why we must be continually reminded to exhort and exhorted to trust and obey the Lord. We encounter two tribes this morning, the Reubenites and the Gadites. And listen, this is after a generation of Israelites has died in the wilderness because of their faithlessness and their disobedience to the Lord 40 years earlier. And after everything Israel had seen with their own eyes, After everything they had experienced over those 40 years, from the day of their deliverance from Egypt, as the Lord rolled up his sleeves and bore his arms of power and snatched the nation of Israel from the iron grip of the most powerful nation on the planet, to the very moment they stood on the borders of Canaan, hearing Moses retell to them, hearing Moses restate for them the book of Deuteronomy, the very law of God that the previous generation had rebelled against. Forty years of seeing God work, of seeing the just judgments of God, of seeing the loyal, steadfast love of God, 40 years of God's displaying to them that he is with them and he is their God. We meet again here a couple of tribes who, even after seeing all of this, comes dangerously close to repeating the faithless rebellion of the previous generation, the tribes of Reuben and Gad. These two tribes needed to be reminded to take care and to obey. You remember, as the Lord went ahead of the nation of Israel to fight against the Amorite kings, defeating Sihon of Heshbon and Og of Bashan, Israelites, the Israelites went up and devoted everyone and everything in those lands to destruction, and the Lord transferred those lands, transferred ownership of those lands from those Amorite kings into the hands of the Israelites. And this is before the nation goes up into Canaan to take and possess the promised land on the other side of the Jordan. 
And Deuteronomy 3 will provide a very quick overview of this situation. These newly acquired lands, the lands of Og and Sihon, Deuteronomy chapter 3 verse, 20, uh, verse 12 says, When we took possession of this land at that time, I gave to the Reubenites and the Gadites the territory beginning at Aroer which is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon and half the hill country of Gilead with its cities. That's verse 12. And then if you drop your eyes to verse 16 and 17, you will see Moses outline and define the borders of Reuben and Gad. Now, it's important to note that these lands were given to Reuben and Gad as their inheritance, according to verse 12, at that time. What does that mean, at that time? It means they were transferred into the possession of those two tribes prior or before the nation as a whole entered into and conquered the land of Canaan. It was before the other tribes received their inheritances. It was before they went in under Joshua to claim and to occupy the lands that had been promised to the nation by the Lord to the descendants of Abraham, to, to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, centuries earlier. So Reuben and Gad have now received their lands. They've been given the deed. Keep that in mind as we read the fuller account of this event, this delivering of lands to Reuben and Gad on the other side of the the Jordan before conquering Canaan. The fuller record, if you want to flip to Numbers. 32 is found in Numbers 32, where we read this, starting in Numbers 32, verse 1. I'm going to read 1, 2, and 4, and 5. I'm going to skip 3 because it's just a bunch of wonderful names. It says this, Now the people of Reuben and the people of Gad had a very great number of livestock. And they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, and behold, the place was a place for livestock. So the people of Gad and the people of Reuben came and said to Moses and to Eleazar the priest and to the chiefs of the congregation, the land that the Lord struck down before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. And they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants for a possession. So... After the great battles against Sihon and Og, after clearing the land, the Reubenites and the Gadites, both of whom possessed many cows and many sheep and many goats, they survey this land on this side of the Jordan and they think to themselves, this is a perfect fit for us. We have tons of livestock and this land is spacious enough for livestock. We have tons of livestock, and this land has enough grass and feed to support all of our livestock. Truly, this is the land for tribes such as ours. This is a land that meets all of our needs. And not only that, it's already been cleared of all the Amorites. So that's a plus. The land is at rest. Sihon and his kingdom are no longer. And the same is true for Og and his kingdom. They're all gone. And what's more, the Rephaim, meaning the giant and fearsome men who once dominated these lands, they've all been destroyed too. So they won't pose any threat to us, to our families, or to our livestock. This is perfect. 
And so they approach Moses with the request. They approach the leaders of the people with a couple of requests. The first one is perfectly reasonable, while the other will elicit a warning from Moses. Here's the first in Numbers 32.5. Let this land be given to your servants for a possession. Fair enough, right? You have livestock. This is a land for livestock. Makes total sense. And here we see one of the wonders of the Lord, right? The Lord makes promises. What did the Lord promise to Israel? He promised to them the land of Canaan. And here we see that the Lord expands upon that promise and also gives the lands outside of Canaan. He, makes, he enlarges the borders of that promise to include these lands, giving them to the nation. He said this in chapter Deuteronomy 2, verse 31. Begin to take possession that you may occupy these lands. So here you see the Lord saying, Not only is Canaan yours, O Israel, but so also these lands outside of Canaan, on the other side of the Jordan River, I'm also giving these to you. Go, take, occupy. So the Reubenites and the Gadites, they recognize quite quickly that these regions suit their way of life, and so they ask Moses to assign these lands to their tribes. And Moses will ultimately do just that. That in and of itself is not the problem. It's the second request that they make that is the problem. And what is their second request? Look again at Numbers 32, verse 5. Do not take us across the Jordan. Give us these lands and do not take us across the Jordan. Meaning, let us remain in these lands because there's so much work to do here. So many important things for us to attend to. We have to build pens for our folds and our livestock. We got to build homes and we got to build cities. Let us stay here, Moses, to tend to our own business now that we have gotten the land that has promised to us. While the rest of the tribes go forth and conquer the lands on the other side of the Jordan in the name of the Lord under his banner. You see, we know that the Lord's going to win the victory for them and bring them into their inheritance just like he has for us. So we've been given ours, we've fought our battles, we fought against great kings and armies, and now, and now, we'd just like to slow down a bit. We'd like to rest here now. If it's all the same to you, Moses, we'd actually like to just stay here. We'd like to avoid the wars that you're about to wage. We'd like to attend to and focus on our own needs for a while. We kind of, we've served our time, Moses. We've gotten our hands dirty in battle. Let us drop the swords, pick up the hammers, so we can focus on building up our inheritance. You guys go up and fight. Don't take us across. We've done enough fighting. In other words, I got mine. Now I need to focus on it rather than helping you achieve and attain yours. In that moment, the Reubenites didn't care about the battles and the struggles and the wars that their brothers must fight so long as they had what they wanted. They were content to sit on the sidelines so long as they had their own property to attend to. 
They were content to avoid concerning themselves with their brothers who had not yet attained their rest, their inheritance. The Reubenites and the Gadites in this moment, the Reubenites and Gadites at that moment are very much a picture of of us, right? Of those of us who are so focused on our own bank accounts, on our own houses, on our own lives that we have no concern for our brothers and sisters who might be struggling financially and spiritually. Those who struggle to make ends meet, those whose souls are in a season of despair. The Reubenites and the Gadites present to us a picture of those who would rather sit on the sidelines of a church and complain about what they don't like rather than get up and sally forth in the name of Christ and the gospel. These are those who are so fixated on themselves that they filter everything through themselves. They don't strive to help anyone become more like Jesus. They don't strive to fight for others to reach the eternal city. But they would rather turn their eyes and their energy in on themselves even as everyone around them is engaged in their battle against sin and the flesh and the devil and the world that seeks to kick you while you're down. And it's a heated and furious battle. And none of us are exempt from it. We're all fighting it. We're all in it right now. All of us need help. All of us need exhortation. All of us need encouragement. All of us. And listen, you're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. There's only one Jesus. There is only one person who will never let you down. And as you sometimes go and fight for your brothers and sisters, they're going to let you down. And guess what? You're going to let them down. We might say and do unhelpful things to one another. We might say and do sinful things, proud things to one another. All of us. And so we all must bear with the failings of one another. You're going to fail. They're going to fail. And we rebuke When needed, we restore as needed. And we accept the rebuke and restoration that must come our way as well. And we do this all for the glory of Christ. And we recognize that as we bear with one another, we're going to succumb to our flesh. They're going to succumb to their flesh. And we have the the options before us to either grow bitter and hostile and avoid reconciliation or to say, you know what? I'm not a Reubenite. I'm not a Gadite. That person needs help. I can get over myself and I can go and fight for them. Keep going, saints. On top of that, The Reubenites are also, that's on a spiritual level, the Reubenites are also those who will settle down and consider their own lifestyle without considering the struggles of other people around them. 
They're like the rich fool that Jesus describes in Luke chapter 12. You remember that parable? In Luke 12, verse 16 and 17, we read, The land of a rich man, these are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. So this man had a bumper crop. It must have rained a whole bunch, but he got an extra amount of crops this year. And if you notice in the parable, it, not even for a second did this man consider that he might distribute some of those crops to the people around him that are struggling themselves. All he thought about was his own situation. And instead of thinking, you know what? The barns that I normally fill up, the barns that are sufficient to meet the needs of my family throughout the year, they're full, and now I've got all this other food. I should maybe help those around me. Never considered that for a second. Instead, Luke, Jesus tells us in Luke, the man said to himself, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, and I will build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods, laid up for many years, relax, eat, drink, be merry. So the man had more than enough for himself, and rather than considering those around him, he simply said, I'm good, I'm going to relax, I'm going to ensure that I can store all of this, and in like manner to the Reubenites, he said, I don't want to go across that Jordan. I'm quite happy, and I'm quite comfortable where I am. Let me stay here. Let me relax, eat, drink, be merry. As long as my life is comfortable, everything's okay. You all go, be warm, well-fed. You go and win your victory over there. I got my land. Don't make me sacrifice my comfort for somebody else. Don't make me get up from my own eating and drinking and being merry to engage in some sort of spiritual warfare for somebody else. Don't make me go and try to make disciples. Every time I try to make disciples, they bite me. And they got sharp teeth. Let me eat, drink, and be merry here. Let me sit on this side of the Jordan. Let me sit on the sidelines. Don't make me go out and labor among the sheepfold of Christ to help his sheep grow up into the image and likeness of Christ. That's hard. Don't call on me to give up my bosom sins, those sins that I cling to and I'm loath to give up and I justify them in my mind. Don't call on me to sacrifice my time and my effort and my energy in service to the Lord's people. Don't call on me to go and forgive people who have hurt me. Don't call on me to do any of those things. Let me sit here on this side of the Jordan eating, drinking, being merry, and focusing on my own life. Let me sit here and comfortably tend to my own fields in the way that I think best. This attitude present in the Reubenites and Gadites is probably, most likely, actually probably guaranteed to be present in your life and mine as well. And that attitude was met 
with great frustration from Moses, who heard the Reubenites say that, and you see what he responds in Numbers 32.6. Shall your countrymen go to war while you sit here? Put yourself in Moses' position for a second. We'll talk a little bit more about this next week. But here is a man who is himself desperate to enter the promised land. Desperate to be the man who leads his people over the Jordan into Canaan. He begged the Lord. He prayed and he petitioned the Lord so fervently and so often that the Lord said to him in chapter 3, verse 25 of Deuteronomy, Don't speak to me of this matter again. Enough. You're not going over. And here you've got these Reubenites and Gadites saying, ah, we'll just stay here. We'll just stay right here. And as they say that, you've got Moses who is eager, but you've also got the other ten tribes of Israel who are eager to go over and to take possession of the land, to fight in obedience to the Lord. And you can imagine, they're all ready they're like, we don't, gotta, we don't have our land yet. And the Reubenites and the Gadites are back there saying, well, good, go. Go do your thing. It's, it's fine. Good. That's amazing. Would that not be a discouragement to them? Desperate tribes watching the Reubenites beg Moses not to take them. And so Moses rebukes them harshly. Would you let your brothers go to war while you sit here and watch? Even worse, would you turn your eyes to your own plow while your brothers and sisters, your, your brothers are over there swinging their swords? Would you not even consider the battles they have to fight? That's not how it should be. Reubenites and Gadites, you must go up and fight alongside your brothers. It is unacceptable to sit on the sidelines. It is unacceptable not to go and fight with them. And while we aren't called to wage wars, I hopefully I've been clear about that, we're not called to conquer lands as Israel was in those days, this principle of fighting alongside your brothers and your sisters, of going up with them and working and striving side by side with the saints for the cause of the gospel, for one another's joy in Christ, for the free and unhindered worship of the saints to Christ, for their growth in grace, for their greater love for, affection for, trust in, and confidence in Christ, we labor side by side, and that is still a principle for the church today, set down over and over again in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, for example, wrote to the Philippian believers in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Let your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, 
striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. What a beautiful witness that would be if I was able to get over myself, if you were able to get over yourself, we were able to bear with one another, if you were able to bear with me. What a beautiful witness that would be. This is how our lives must be oriented towards each other. We should be asking ourselves at all times, with reference to all of Christ's children, how can I be a net benefit in this person's life of faith, obedience, and joy? How do I keep from sitting on the sidelines of Reuben and Gad when it comes to this person or that person or this person? And if we were all doing that for each other, guess what? That would be beautiful. And the your here in the Philippians, the letter to the Philippians, is in the plural. It means your life as a body of believers, as a church. Paul is saying, may your communal life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he gives a few marks here, right? What are the marks of those whose, the church whose life is a worthy witness to the gospel? He says first in Philippians, they stand firm in one spirit with one mind. Meaning the spirit resides in each and every one of us who believe. The spirit is present and active in our midst. The Spirit is doing what Jesus promised the Spirit would do. In John chapter 16, he said, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit of the Lord calls to our mind the truth as set down in the scriptures. And that truth never changes. The spirit and the word, they agree. The problem is not the word. The problem is us. We'll read the word and we'll filter it through whatever fleshly motivation we have at any given moment at any given time. But may we leave all of that to the side so that we can strive together, standing firm in one spirit, in one mind. May we all seek to know the Lord's mind as revealed in the Scripture, and may we pray, each and every one of us, that the Spirit would help us grow ever closer to Jesus and ever closer to one another as we submit to the authority of the Word. Because the more we become like Jesus, the more we become like each other. Another mark of a church whose communal life is a worthy witness to the gospel, according to the Apostle Paul, is that it strives side by side for the faith of the gospel, meaning the entire body. I don't know what part of the body you might think you are. Hands, feet, knees, elbows, eyes, ears, and every other part of the body strives and works together, and they strive, we strive together to do a couple of things, to help each other grow up ever increasingly into the image and likeness of Christ and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are, how rich you are or how poor you are. It doesn't matter how skilled you think you are or how skilled you're not. No one is permitted to sit on the sidelines. No one is permitted to say, don't make me go up into the Jordan. Let me just sit here where I'm comfortable. 
that option is not open to any of us. Each and every one of us is called to be engaged in this striving for the faith of the gospel. Working together, side by side, hand in hand, encouraging each other when needed, exhorting each other when needed. Building each other up as we face the many and numerous obstacles that will be thrown in our way. Encouraging each other to persevere together. And a third mark of a church that is, whose communal life is worthy of the witness to the gospel is that they're not frightened in anything by our opponents. See, there will be many who rise up against the advance of the gospel hoping to halt our march, to stop our labors, to convince us to focus on our livestock, to convince us to settle down on the other side of the Jordan, to convince us to just think about your domestic concerns or to think about what it is that you think will make you happy. But the people of the Lord striving together, supported by one another. We don't fear them. We don't listen to them. We don't get sidetracked by them. We don't focus on our own inheritance so greatly that we leave off helping others achieve theirs. Or that we request that we don't get called up or enlisted to help our brothers and sisters. We are all to be working with each other in such a way so as to assist one another on that narrow road that leads to life. Because more than anything, more than anything, we will be worshiping our great Savior in eternity. And I want you all there. Hopefully you all want each other there. We're all going to be together forever. So maybe we should like each other here. For that reason, we never settle down. We continue striving together. Back to Numbers 32, Moses continues his rebuke of the Gadites and the Reubenites and their desire to sit out of the battles, saying this in Numbers 32, verse 7. Why will you discourage the heart of the people of Israel from going over into the land that the Lord has given them. So it would appear that as Moses hears their request and has his finger on the pulse of the people, he knows that the lack of engagement from the Reubenites will be a discouragement to the other tribes. It will be an action that lowers the morale of the entire nation. As the rest of the tribes now consider, how will we go up and take the land when a sizable portion of our army sits on the sidelines, comfortably watching their own sheep and cattle graze in the fields. And we know from history, said Moses, that the people, the nation of Israel, is an easily discouraged nation. And so he gives them a little bit of a history lesson now in Numbers 32, 8 to 13. Listen to it. Your fathers did this. When I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land, for when they went up to the valley of Eschol and they saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the people of Israel from going into the land that the Lord had given them. And the Lord's anger was kindled on that day, and he swore, saying, Surely none of the men who came up out of Egypt from twenty years old and upward shall see the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. None except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. 
The Lord's anger was kindled against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all that generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. Moses reminds the Reubenites, reminds the Gadites about what had happened to the previous generation of Israelites who discouraged the people of Israel to faithlessness by their words and their deeds. The anger of the Lord, he said, was kindled on that day, and the Lord swore in his anger that not a single one of that faithless generation would enter save Caleb and Joshua. And now here the Reubenites and the Gadites are dangerously close to repeating the errors of their fathers. And Moses warned them again in Numbers 32, 14, and 15, Behold, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will again abandon them in the wilderness, and you will destroy all his people. Reuben, And Gad, is that what you want? Do you want to see your people destroyed because of your faithlessness, your inability to come alongside of them and fight with them? Is that what you want, Reuben and Gad? You have risen up in the place of your fathers. You are doing what they did, and the results will be catastrophic if you continue in this course of action. Because of you, the Lord might abandon this people, this generation again, and destroy them in the wilderness again. I don't know if you remember what that must have felt like for the ten faithless spies who had to watch the entire generation of Israel die in the wilderness because they were unfaithful, but do you really want that on your conscience, Reuben and Gad? Do you want your brother's failure to reach Canaan to be on your conscience? So the actions of these two tribes, or the leaven of the Reubenites, lack of concern for their brothers, is threatening to work its way through the entire lump. Again, that's another New Testament principle. Paul discusses it in 1 Corinthians. So these two groups want to sit on the sidelines And by their lack of commitment to the Lord, their lack of commitment to helping the congregation of Israel enter into the rest of the Lord that he has for them, everyone around them will be discouraged. They'll be discouraged from obedience to the Lord and from moving forward together in obedience. And so Moses furiously rebukes them. Here we are again. You haven't learned from what your parents did. If you won't go up and fight, if you won't hear and obey the word of the Lord, but will faithlessly sit here and do nothing to aid your brothers, you will be the cause of this new generation's faithlessness. You will be the cause of their dying in the wilderness. Would you really be the cause of your generation's downfall? Would you really let yourselves be the catalyst for such a devastating judgment? Would you really be so fixated on yourselves and your livestock that you don't care what happens to the rest of Israel? Would you really allow yourself to be the source of discouragement for the people of God as they strive and fight to gain their inheritance? 
But good news. I know we all need it now. I'm seeing the faces. There's good news in here. Because as Moses rebukes the Reubenites and the Gadites, guess what? They hear the rebuke and they respond exactly how they should have responded. Hear what they said in Numbers 32, verse 16. We will build our sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones, but we will take up arms, ready to go before the people of Israel until we have brought them to their place. And our little ones shall live in fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until each of the people of Israel has gained his inheritance. So we're going to take care of a few things. The basics, right? We're going to make sure our kids are safe and our livestock are safe. We're going to make sure that they're secure. And then we are going to go up at the head of Israel's armies. We are going to fight at the front line of the armies. And we will make sure that every single last Israelite reaches the inheritance that the Lord is giving to them. We will make sure that they are all entering into the inheritance God has given to them. We are not going to sit here in these lands while you go up and fight. In fact, we're going to lead the charge. We will fight with you. We will fight for you until it's all accomplished, until all the enemies are conquered, and until you are at rest in your homes. And only then will we return to these lands, the lands of our inheritance. So the Reubenites and the Gadites, instead of fixating on their own lands, fought with an increased ferocity for their brothers. They didn't sit on their hands. They didn't allow themselves to be a source of discouragement and faithlessness. But instead, they drew and they swung their swords furiously for their brothers. And that's what Moses records in Deuteronomy 3, 18 to 20, what he said after this interaction. I commanded you at that time, saying, The Lord your God has given you this land to possess. All your men of valor shall cross over armed before your brothers, the people of Israel. Only your wives, your little ones, and your livestock, I know that you have much livestock, shall remain in the cities I have given you until the Lord gives rest to your brothers, as he has to you. And they also occupy the land that the Lord your God gives them beyond the Jordan. Then each of you may return to his possession, which I have given you. So while the land that had been allotted to the Reubenites and the Gadites, the fighting men, the men of valor in their tribes, were not permitted to enjoy life in that possession. While that land had been given to them, they were not allowed to enjoy life in that possession until the entire nation reached their land as well. The nation of Israel was made up of 12 tribes, right? Each one of them could very well have just focused on its own tribal necessities. But the Lord had comprised the nation in such a way that each of these tribes was not to consider what was beneficial only for them, but also to do what was, what was best for every, per, every tribe in the nation. Each tribe was bound to the whole. And that's what the Apostle Peter tells us. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, listen, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2. Each of us, says Peter, is like a living stone. 
and we are joined with other living stones. One stone doesn't make a house. Many stones stacked on, supported by, and supporting other stones make a house. All the stones need all the stones. And as living stones being built up by the Lord into a spiritual house, we would do well to remember the exhortation of the Apostle Paul to the Philippian believers. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Those interests might be, in the case of Israel, tangible interests. We see a brother or a sister in need, so we act to meet that need. Some of you guys are fantastic at that. It also speaks to the necessity that is laid on every one of us to be focused on helping each other grow up into the image and likeness of Christ, to grow in obedience to His Word, to grow in faith and hope and love, and to move on from childish things to the things of a mature believer. And not one of you can do that apart from all the rest of you. We all need each other. All the stones need all the stones. We need the Reubenites and the Gadites to join the battle. If you've been one who has been a faithless, discouraging force in the life of a church, there's good news. Like the Reubenites, you can hear the Word of God and head out to the front lines and of the spiritual war that we are all engaged in together and begin vigorously fighting for and beside your fellow Christians in their efforts to be mature believers in their efforts to mature in faith and repentance and obedience. It's never too late. As long as we are drawing breath, we can make our way to the front. And Joshua will record the very moment when this happened. In Joshua 4, verse 12, he wrote, The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over, armed, before the people of Israel, as Moses had told them. They followed through on their word. They were dangerously close. But they heard the rebuke. They followed through. And they went over and enthusiastically, bravely, and powerfully fought for their brothers to see to it that their brothers reached the blessed promises, the blessed rest of the Lord. They fought until their fellow tribes reached the rest of God. I have a lot more to go, but uh, we'll end there. To the glory of God. Amen and amen. Father, we thank you for this encouragement. We thank you for the warning that Reuben and Gad pose or reveal to us. Two tribes dangerously close to being a catalyst for faithlessness in the nation ended up hearing the rebuke of Moses and ended up being the source of much encouragement to the nation. And I pray that you would forgive me for the times when I've been a discouragement. I pray that you would forgive all of us here for the times when we've been discouragements. I pray for your forgiveness and your grace for every one of us for the moments when we, like the Reubenites and Gadites, wanted to sit on the other side of the Jordan rather than going up and fighting. 
Lord, I pray that this church would be a unified body, would be like the 12 tribes of Israel together fighting side by side in unity and harmony, helping all the others reach the rest that is promised to us by the Lord. I pray that you in your spirit would give us the ability to bear with one another. Pray that you would give us the ability to forgive, to rebuke, to encourage as necessary. And I pray that you would give us the maturity to be able to bear with one another, recognizing that they're not Jesus and I'm not Jesus and they're not perfect and I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect, but we have a perfect Savior. He is our exemplar. He is the one to whom we are striving to become more like. He is the one who saves us. And we're so grateful to that, to him for that. We praise you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen.